When you visit a state as big and diverse as Texas, there are a million different trips you can take. Let's say you've got an appetite for whitewater kayaking. You can get your own. So this is why they call it Devil's River. Trip to Texas. Or maybe you have an actual appetite. I'll take a pound of brisket, six ribs, uh, three links of sausage, and a, a piece of pecan pie. Trip to Texas. Go to TravelTexas.com slash get your own for the only trip to Texas that matters. Yours. What makes the Carnival Cruise fun? That's up to you. Maybe it's a ride on boat, a roller coaster at sea, or a deep tissue massage at the spa. Creole-inspired cuisine at Emerald's Bistro to laid-back bites at Guy's Burger Joint. Excursions that take you from jungle adventures to beach days at Mahogany Bay and sunsets from the top deck. Long story short, no one does fun like Carnival. Carnival, choose fun. Ships Registry, Bahamas, Panama. Brett McKay here, and welcome to another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. Do you feel like your life needs a little more excitement, a little more adventure? There's a lot of guys who say that. They, they want to go on adventures, but they always give excuses like, I don't have the money, I don't have the time, because you need a lot of money and a lot of time if you want to do some great adventure in the, the Grand Tetons or Yosemite or go float a, a river in South America. Well, our guest today says, you don't need a lot of money, you don't need a lot of time, you don't even have to travel very far to go on an adventure. In fact, you can find adventure in your own backyard. His name is Alistair Humphreys. He was named National Geographic Adventure of the Year, so he's done some really big adventures. But a while back ago, he set out to go on these little, what he calls micro-adventures, things you can do in a day, on a weekend, or even right after work and before you go to work the next morning, you can find adventure in your own backyard. And he cataloged all his micro-adventures in a book called Micro-Adventures, of all things. And I got him on the podcast today uh, because his book inspired my family to take on micro-adventures and find things. We, For the past two months, each week we've been doing some sort of micro-adventure. And it's been things like uh, sleeping out in our own backyard underneath the stars. Uh, we went floating. We bought a raft on Amazon. It was like, you know, not that expensive. And then floated a river here in Oklahoma. And I wanted to share this with you all. Because I think it's something that can benefit a lot of people because it's really changed our life. Um, so without further ado, we got Alistair Humphreys talking about micro-adventures. Alistair Humphreys, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. All right, so National Geographic named you one of the adventurers of the year. You are an adventurer by trade, which is... Uh, Pretty cool. And your, your first big adventure was in 2001. And you spent four years biking around the world. So tell us a little about that journey. How old were you? How did you get the idea? And what was that like? I was 24 years old when I set off. And I set off straight after graduating from university, from school. And I got the idea because I spent most of my university years not studying, but reading books of great adventures, people climbing big mountains and crossing deserts in the Arctic, and just loving those stories, and gradually managing somehow in my head to switch from just enjoying those stories to wanting to live some sort of similar story myself. And I figured that 
it was now was as good time as any to go and do it. So I've been saving up for a few years, and as soon as I finished, I jumped on my bike and set off to see if I could cycle all the way around the world. I didn't actually think uh, I would be able to, but I was quite interested to see how far I could get. And did you make it? I did make it, yeah. Um, I was away for over four years, and I rode 46,000 miles through 60 countries across five continents, and much to my surprise, I made it home again. Um, and I did it, yeah. How do you do, so how did you get across from like Asia to North America? So the Bering cr- Strait? Yeah, the, I crossed the, the first big ocean was the Atlantic from uh, Africa to South America. I crossed that on a sailing boat and getting across the Pacific, I managed to hitch a ride on a, a cargo boat um, heading out of Alaska over over the Pacific. And then there were a couple of other little sailing boats and ferries in between around the world. But I did the whole globe without leaving the surface of the planet. Yeah, we had someone write a post about um, sailing across the sea on cargo ships where you can just get on and be sort of like a member of the crew. And he just he got pretty cheap passage and he just hung out with the crew. It was kind of bizarre. Yeah, yeah it was really cool. That I, um, I was on a cargo ship with a... A uh, boatload of Bangladeshis, and so um, they're all Muslims. They don't drink, so Saturday night party night for them was just to drink as many soft drinks as they could till they got a bit high on that, and then uh, dance with each other in the cabins. It's uh, it's pretty (laughs) surreal. Well, since your bike journey, you've done many other big adventures. Like you walked across India, uh, you rode across the Atlantic Ocean. What drives you to undertake these big expeditions? I think the the big trips come from a few factors. Um, wanting to see the the wild places in the world, like a, I guess a lot of people want to travel and see the world. Um, also, there's quite a lot of masochism in me. I want to try and push myself as hard as I could and see what I'm capable of uh, physically and mentally. Um, and then the bike trip, the curse of the bike trip was once you do a big journey like that, um, it, it sort of opens Pandora's box. And I came home from that bike trip thinking, wow, I've cycled around the world. What else can I do? So it's a, there's an element of it of just seeing quite what I'm capable of doing, seeing at what point I break. How do you, okay, we talk about, you're talking about adventure here, but how do you define an adventure? I mean, what makes an adventure an adventure? And, why do you think it's so important in a person's life? Because you're sort of an advocate that everyone should be an adventurer. I am, and I deliberately think that adventure is not specifically about cycling around the world or walking across a desert. And I think it's more about the attitude of the way you approach your life. So trying to do things that are new, do things that are difficult, do things that scare you a little bit, doing stuff with enthusiasm and excitement and curiosity. I think all of those things are or attitudes of adventure um, and and I think those things are important and perhaps you can put those into your life by trying to row across an ocean or you could put it into your life in many other ways but trying to have that adventure spirit is, is really important in my life. So I imagine a lot of people have come up to you and said, you know, look, I'm really envious of your life but look, it's easy for you to go on these adventures because it's what you do for a living. Um, but I can't do that because I, I work a nine to five. I got kids. I've got responsibility. I got to, you know coach baseball. Is this what spurred you to start thinking about the idea of micro adventures? And for those who aren't familiar with it, can you explain what a micro adventure is? Sure. Um, 
all those things you mentioned, um, except for the coaching baseball part, was <laughs> was something I was hearing increasingly regularly. And it struck me as very strange that people had begun to perceive me as an adventurer with a capital A rather than a normal guy like everyone else who's just chosen to do these sort of things. And, and I realized that there's this perception that adventure requires you to be tough or rich or live in the Yukon or all these sort of things. Whereas I thought adventure was more about making the choice to, to get out into the wilderness. And so I decided to try to start doing adventures that broke down these barriers that stop people having adventures in their own life. Mostly things like a lack of time, a lack of money, a lack of expertise, um, not living in a cabin in the middle of the Yukon. And rather than people, rather than letting those things stop you doing anything adventurous, I tried to find ways to work around that and to just have small adventures that are compatible with real life. So in the last couple of years, the, the big adventures have been on pause and I've been doing these small, deliberately little micro-adventures, much close to home, exploring my own country. And these micro-adventures, they, they, they're supposed to last, you know, it could be a few hours that you could fit in after work. Um, could be a weekend, could be a few more days if you want to take a, you know, some vacation time. Um, so can you give some examples of, you know, what constant, what, you know, of micro adventures you highlight in the book and what you've done in yourself? Yeah, I think it's important to try to clarify that a micro adventure is no different to an adventure, really. It's just trying to make people do adventures that fit in with the frameworks of their life. So that might be just overnight or it might be a weekend, as you say, or it could be a few days. Things like, and all of those things that you might do adventurous within that time. So going on a bike trip, cycling from your home to the coast, um, unless you live right in the middle of the US. Um, <laughs> but in the UK, no one lives more than 70 miles from the ocean. So for example, I try and encourage people to just jump on their bike Saturday morning, cycle to the coast. Anyone moderately fit can get to the coast that night, sleep on the beach the night, wake up Sunday morning and pedal back home Sunday night, ready for work Monday morning so that when your boss says, did you do anything interesting at the weekend? For once, you don't have to lie and you can say, yes, I did an adventure. So small little things like that. Um, office workers who are very much bogged down by the nine to five routine, I try and encourage them to flip it round and instead of being constrained by their nine to five, instead to look at the opportunities that might be in the five to nine, those 16 hours of theoretical freedom that we have each day from when we finish work in which that's plenty of time to head out of town go sleep on a hill camp under the stars by yourself with a few friends watch the sunset watch the sunrise the next morning run back down the hill swim in a river jump on the bus and get back to your desk for nine o'clock the next morning and i think that is genuinely an adventurous thing to do but one that's compatible with real life yeah i love that example of, you did that. You uh, you had an office job. As soon as you got off, you went out, slept on a hill, came back. And I think, is that like a common barrier? People just don't think that they can use their free time like that. Because like for me, I'm like, oh, well, you know, I got the job and I got to wake up early and I got to, you know, there's things I got to do around the house. I mean, is, but when you, when you explain it, like, wow, like that's actually doable. I mean, is that a common barrier? People just don't look at their free time as free. When I started doing these micro-adventures and I was blogging about them and making films about them, at first what I was trying to do was to make stuff as big and epic and difficult and exciting as I could within the framework of, say, a few days. Um, 
but I was coming up against resistance. People saying, oh, it's all right for you. I haven't got a canoe or it's okay for you to disappear for a few days. So I had to keep simplifying and simplifying the idea. Right, and the shortest adventure idea I've come up with for an overnight one is this idea of five to nine because the biggest thing that gets in people's way is not money or not owning a canoe, it's lack of time. And we're all so insanely busy and people are so proud of how incredibly busy they are. Um, and I think the fact that we're really busy is the reason why we need to leave the office maybe just once, one nice sunny evening, turn off your phone and just sleep under the stars for the night. And I think that the reason that trip idea, the five to nine, is quite popular, I think, is because it shows people that you can make time for adventure if you choose to do so. I think a lot of times when people say they can't do something, it's quite a good idea in your head just to switch the word can't for I choose not to. So mm. I choose not to have the time for this. I choose not to spend my money on this. And that helps you realize exactly where your priorities do lie. Wedding season is coming up. And if you are preparing for the big day, I know wedding planning can be really intimidating, but finding the perfect suit shouldn't be. Indochino makes it easy to get a fully customizable suit right from your home. Don't just wear any suit on your big day. Wear a custom made-to-measure suit. Suits start at just $499, which is about the same price you'd pay for an off-the-rack suit at a department store. And they've also got custom made-to-measure shirts starting at just $89. So I've talked about my Indochino suit on the podcast before. They've been a longtime podcast sponsor. It's navy blue. The measuring process was super easy. They got these video guides you follow. You'll need another set of hands to help you out with that. But the really fun part is customizing it. Got to customize how I wanted the lapels on the jacket, the pockets, the lining. I went no pleats on the pants on this suit. A lot of fun. And then in a few weeks, you have a made-to-measure custom suit sent directly to your door. When planning your wedding, get a suit as unique as you with Indochino. Go to Indochino.com and use code MANLINESS to get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O.com, promo code MANLINESS. All right, so if you're like me, you've probably signed up for a whole bunch of stuff that has a recurring monthly fee. Subscriptions to newsletters, subscriptions to services that you use online, uh, could be a streaming service, something like that. You sign up for it and then you forget about it. And then every month you're getting charged and charged and charged and they just all add up and you have a hard time trying to figure out where did I sign up for this? I don't know where this is coming from. Well, let me tell you, there's an app that can help you with that. It's called Rocket Money. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. I had a chance to use Rocket Money and it works. You connect your account to it and then it goes through your accounts and helps you find those recurring subscription fees that maybe you forgot about and then you can cancel them and save yourself a bit of money each month. Stop wasting money in things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com manliness. That's rocketmoney.com slash manliness, rocketmoney.com slash manliness. Daylight saving time is starting up again. The goal of this is to give us more daylight from March through November. By setting our clocks forward, it may feel like there are more hours in the day, but if you're hiring, it doesn't necessarily help you find qualified candidates for your roles any sooner. There is only one way to do that, ZipRecruiter. And right now you can try it for free at ziprecruiter.com slash manliness. ZipRecruiter works around the clock to help you find qualified candidates. Once you post your job on ZipRecruiter, they send it to 100 plus job sites so you can reach more of the right people. 
ZipRecruiter smart technology also quickly scans thousands of resumes to identify people whose skills and experience match your job. Spring forward with a new hiring partner, ZipRecruiter, and find top talent sooner. See why four out of five employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash manliness. Once again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash manliness. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Picture that thing you've always wanted to learn. All right, you got that in your head? Now picture learning it from the person who's literally the best at it in the world. That's what you get with Masterclass. This year, learn from the best to become your best with Masterclass. Masterclass offers over 180 world-class instructors, and many of these instructors are former AOM podcast guests. You can learn negotiation from Chris Voss, leadership skills from Jocko Willink, how to master your habits with James Clear. Plus, every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so there's no risk. So recently, I went through the Masterclass on negotiation with Chris Voss. A lot of useful information in there. Talked about the value of knowing a negotiation, how to use your body language and speech patterns to get your best out of a negotiation. Very well done. I really enjoyed it and got a lot out of it. Right now, listeners of our podcast can get an additional 15% off an annual membership at masterclass.com slash AOM. Get 15% off right now at masterclass.com slash AOM. Masterclass.com slash AOM. Check out the masterclass on negotiation with Chris Voss. Well, I think I found like, you know, I, I feel like I've like a lot of people like, oh, I'm super busy. I'm busy. I'm busy. I'm busy. But then when I actually like sit down and like analyze my time, I find a lot of it. I'm just like dickering around on the internet, surfing Reddit, uh, watching TV. And I'm not as busy as I think I am. And I, and I, and I whenever I look at that, my, my time logs, I'm like, man, I could have done some other stuff. <laughs> Yeah, Besides, I'm, and, I'm, and I'm as bad as everyone else of our generation at that sort of frittering away stuff. But, but um, I think the there's trying to find your use up those little five minutes in the day is an entire different issue. Really, the the thing that we're talking about here is committing to spend a whole night, and that might involve finding someone to look after your kitten for the night, <laughs> or taking a clean pair of pants to work so you've got them for the next morning and a little bit of planning and effort not a huge amount but just a little bit a few basic bits of kit and they, this is partly what stops people doing it, is anything that involves a little bit of hassle you can't be bothered to 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 get up and running yeah um, and the micro adventures really emphasize minimal amount of kit most people will own most of the stuff you need to go sleep on a hill already um it's cheap and it's simple and the cheaper sorry not the cheaper the more simple you can keep things the more likely people are to actually do them well let's talk about the kit um you know you have a suggestion of a kit you should have at the ready so you can be ready for a micro adventure whenever what i mean what are the very basics someone needs to be able to do a micro adventure at the drop of a hat well i think uh, theoretically a really nice thing to to do would be to have a little rucksack packed by your door or under your desk at work so that if suddenly the sun was shining and you had an evening free you could just grab that and go because one of the big problems in life is trying to work out where your tent is and all those sort of boring things um, so all you really need is enough clothes to be warm wherever you happen to live you need some food and some water um, you need a camping mat one of those padded things that you sleep on when you're camping a sleeping bag um, in the UK, um, where it rains a lot, you need a bivy bag, which is, that's probably the only thing I mentioned that people don't already own um, who like the outdoors. And a bivy bag is essentially a waterproof jacket. It's that sort of Gore-Tex-y type material that just slips over your sleeping bag 
and it means you can sleep on top of a hill without needing a tent. So it's it's cheaper, it's simple, it's minimal, it's a bit silly. It's all the sort of things I like in life. Yeah, I love that. You, you're a big advocate just sleeping under the stars, not not having to haul a tent out to sleep. Yeah, I think tents, in my mind, epitomize one of the real hassles of having adventure. You know, you have to go up to the attic and try and find it, and then you can't find the pegs, and then when you and then you can't remember how to put it up, and then when you come home, it's wet, and you have to hang it up in the kitchen till it's dry, and it's all just a so things that have become a hassle that you don't bother with. So trying to keep things so simple that you actually do it—that's that's the key. How do you, I mean, I'm sure a lot of people are pretty apprehensive about sleeping just right in the open, right? I mean, the tent sort of makes you feel a little more secure, uh, even though it's just a thin piece of plastic. Um, what are your suggestions yeah. for people getting over their apprehensions of sleeping just out in the open? Well, you're absolutely right that a tent psychologically feels like you're inside when you're in it. And even really veteran campers, the first time they sleep without a, a tent or in a bivy bag, you feel very vulnerable and exposed and it is a little bit, you can get a little bit nervous. And so I'd suggest if you're worried about it, go with a group of friends first and a bit of peer pressure and comedy will soon overcome come those nerves. Um, bear in mind that if you're in the countryside somewhere, tucked away on a hill, no one knows you're there, you're not doing anything wrong. No one will see you. No one will find you. You're going to get up early in the morning, take all your rubbish, all your trash with you. No one's going to mind. Um, so we have a lot of these things that we worry about in our heads, and yet we're all quite happy to drive at 50 miles an hour through a town, which is an infinitely more dangerous and bad thing to do. Um, but if you're really worried about it, then I suggest to people to sleep in their garden. Um, lots of us remember as kids what fun that was to camp out in the backyard and you see the stars and have a midnight feast and then you get scared and you come in and go to bed but a lot of people remember that really fondly so I encourage adults to try it as well you can take your duvet and pillow outside maybe a glass of wine and it's so nice to hear the trees to see the birds to see the stars you get a lot of the the sort of escapist side of adventure just by being out in your garden yeah, that's what I'm planning on doing that with my four-year-old son, Gus, uh, next week. And he's, yeah, pretty, he, he's really excited about it. Brilliant. And, and if it ends up pouring down with rain, you just get up and come back inside. So there's um, nothing to lose, really. Um, and I think you will probably enjoy it as well. I yeah. hope you do. Oh, I will. I'm, I'm, really, I'm really excited about it. Is there a, a micro-adventure that was you know, your favorite that you featured in the book? Oh. Um... I know it's like picking children, but... <laughs> I, there, there are a couple I enjoyed and they both involve rivers one was I, I swam down a river for two days and I really enjoyed that just because it made me travel so slowly and being at eye level gave eye level with the water gave such a different perspective on the world and I think both of those things are really important to slow down and to get a different perspective on familiar places and then the other, and I did that by myself. And the other one I loved was getting some inner tubes from tractors. We bought four tractor inner tubes. They cost fifty pounds for four, so that's what seventy, eighty dollars for four. And you've instantly got four boats. Then you can, and drifting down a river on an inner tube that is good for the soul. Really good fun. And when you finish in the evening, you haul them out, set up camp, have a campfire, and you can sit on your your inner tube becomes a luxury armchair. So that was just pure, simple, enjoyable fun with some friends. That's fantastic. Um, 
what did you learn about yourself through all your micro adventuring and not just yourself, maybe about other people or about your, your country, your place, you know, did it, did you grow an attachment to your your homeland by being out there more often? I, I began my big adventures cycling around the world and things because I was probably like a lot of young people. I was bored with where I lived. I thought it was boring and the rest of the world was far more exciting so micro-adventures have really helped me discover my own country and to really love and appreciate the wilderness and beauty that Britain has. So that, that aspect has been really good for me. The second aspect of what I've learned about other people was something we've touched on already is people's almost limitless capacity to come up with excuses rather than to actually get on and do something, um, which is why I had to boil the micro-adventures down smaller and smaller and smaller right to the idea of doing something between five and nine. And then the third aspect of what I've learned about myself is that I, like so many other people of uh, around today, I'm just totally addicted to being busy checking my emails, being on the phone, and I often don't really notice how stressed and frantic that makes me until I leave it all behind one evening after being at the computer all day, go sit on a hill, watch the sunset, open a beer, and don't turn on my phone until the next morning. And that is, I wouldn't quite go as far as to say therapy, but it's been very, very helpful for me um, in this mad, busy world we live in. I, I agree. My wife and I just got back from camping just two days out in the uh, national forest here in Oklahoma. And we didn't have internet. There's no phone act. There's no connections. There was no uh, wireless available. And the feeling that I got was just like that all that stuff that goes on back at home with the internet and email, like it wasn't real. Like, you know, and like I was just sort of surreal, like being out in nature and not having that stuff there. And that, that just seemed like I was like in a completely different world. And it was kind of, I kind of dreaded going back. <laughs> did you feel, at first though, did you feel some sort of withdrawal anxiety? Oh, yeah. I get like, that. Yeah, I wanted to like go to my phone and, yes. you know, start pushing things, but I, there was nothing there for me to push. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, yeah, I find it, it's good for the soul. It refreshes and I just, I feel better whenever I take a break from that stuff and get outside. Yeah, absolutely. So if there's someone who's listening to this podcast right now, um, they, they finish it, they're, they're done, you know, they're probably listening to it on their commute to work. What's something they can do today, right, to just sort of implement, take that first step towards getting started with micro-adventuring? Well, a commute to work is a brilliant time, actually, to l look out of the window if you're in your car or on the train and to notice that between the town that you live and the town that you work, once you start to observe, you'll see little pockets of wilderness. You'll see a little wood, maybe a stream that goes under the road, and you start to see these lovely little places that you'll become curious to explore. So you've immediately found yourself a destination that you can make the focus of your, of your mission. The next thing to do is to uh, commit to a date. So if you think you need a couple of friends to make you actually do it, then get a few friends and put a date in the diary that you're actually going to commit to do this. Uh, pack your bag with a few little things I need. you need. And then, uh, contrary to what I just said about uh, the internet, if you go on online and look at the micro-adventure hashtag, you'll see loads of other people, normal people, 
doing stuff like this. And I think that's really encouraging for normal people to see that other normal people are doing this sort of stuff. And it's not just me, some weirdo professional adventurer with too much time on my hands. Um, I think that, that that social media side of things has been really helpful for, for giving people the confidence to begin. Okay, so speaking of which, um, where can people learn more about micro-adventures and your, your own work? Well, my website, alistairhumphreys.com, has got loads of videos of all of these trips that we've been talking about today and then all the usual social media stuff. Um, most of the, my website, my blog, has also got lots of um, practical advice on what kit you need, how to find a hill to sleep on, the safety and legality of it, all that side of things as well. So I think my website is probably a good starting point. And your book as well, Microadventures. Uh, my, my book, Microadventures, is available on Amazon and all those sorts of places as well, and the iPad. Fantastic. And I, I for those of you who are listening, I highly recommend you go and get it. It's a fan. It, the book, it looks great. The writing's fantastic. It's very evocative and it inspires. And like, I'm gung ho about, we're going to, my wife and I, we're going to do an eight week micro adventure challenge. Wow. One, I one, look forward to seeing that. Yeah. Once a week, we're going to do a micro adventure. That's a great idea. So, so thank you for the inspiration. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for, thank you for having me on. It's been great. Alistair Humphreys, thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Our guest today was Alistair Humphreys. He's a National Geographic Adventurer of the Year. He's also the author of the book Micro Adventures. You can find that on Amazon.com. Go out and get it. It's a fun little book. And make sure to check out uh, his website for more great free content about going on adventures and micro adventures. It's at AlistairHumphreys.com. And also, please, please, please share your micro adventures with me on Instagram. Take a picture of you doing whatever it is you're doing. If you're going to go float a river, if you're going to sleep out underneath the stars, if you're going to go fishing, I don't know what, whatever it is, share it with me on Instagram at, at Art of Manliness and make sure to hashtag microadventure. You can also browse the hashtag microadventure for more ideas to inspire your own. So get out there and do it. I'd love to see them. Until next time, this is Brett McKay telling you to stay manly. No matter what you're a fan of, Texas has the trip for you. There's the trip to Texas and the trip. Or maybe you're the kind of fan who'd prefer a trip to Texas or a trip. Either way, go to TravelTexas.com slash get your own for the only trip to Texas that matters. Yours. Introducing Celebration Key, your key to paradise. Unlock Carnival's all-new exclusive destination at Grand Bahama, where you can dive into clear lagoons, try all the water sports, or unwind on a mile-long, pristine beach with breathtaking sunset views. This vacation paradise has it all. Celebration Key, welcoming guests in summer 2025. Carnival, choose fun. Copyright 2024 Carnival Corporation, all rights reserved. Ships registry, the Bahamas and Panama.